Let's go. It's another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network and the Roundtable to tell you what you may expect going forward into this Tuesday. As we hit the minutes just before the noon hour and whet your appetite for information, let's see what the ag team is up to today with Susan Littlefield. Well, thanks, Derek. I tell you, we want to know more about yellow-flagged iris. And I actually had to go look it up to see what it looked like. It's considered a noxious weed. So Clay Patton's going to have more coming up on that for us as we kick off our midday part of it at 1219. At 12.45, Greenfield Nitrogen, it's coming out of the state of Iowa, but it's to do a regional nitrogen option for producers that is totally producer owned so a nitrogen cooperative we're going to check more into the details of the million dollars that they've already raised to get this up and running to help out with the cost of nitrogen then at 117 steve nelson joins bryce as the farm bureau talks more about property taxes and what they're doing to get the information out to members and non-members alike. So some fun things happening through the midday from us in the farm department. All right. We will keep it tuned here and find out all about yellow flag iris. It sounds like an exotic flower that you could probably buy for Easter, but it's not that at all, is it? It does not sound like it, and from what I understand, it's causing some havoc. So right. you'll have to you'll have to Google it to see what it looks like. Maybe you've got it and didn't even know it. The, the yellow flag iris. All right, thanks very much, Susan. We'll talk to you a little bit later on. Here's uh, Jason Jorgensen, who's been uh, getting ready for some sports action. That's right. Spring football practice number two for the Huskers took place uh, this morning. We'll hear from head coach Scott Frost about how he's trying to change things up a little bit. Sounds like the buy-in has been pretty good so far. I know it's early, but you're coming off a season in which you won four games and new coaching staff is coming in with a peach pole victory and they went undefeated. Yeah, you'd think the kids would probably listen and uh, maybe try something different. You know, I like I like what he said yesterday when he said I I didn't consult anybody yeah. when I told him we're going to start doing morning yeah. drills. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like Scott's going to run things a little bit differently. Yeah, there's one guy in charge. We'll get his thoughts about that. Also, we'll talk about the women's final four. That is said as UConn and Notre Dame were able to punch their tickets last night. With a couple of uh, very well, UConn was very dominant in their victory, and Notre Dame was able to knock off Oregon. Also, we'll talk some men's college basketball. The All-American team has come out, and there's some one-and-dones on there. Three guys out of the top five were freshmen, and those three guys, we know two out of the three so far won't be back next year. Yeah. So that's the way it is in college basketball. Isn't that something? I don't ahead. like it. Go ahead and find those one-and-doneers. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess they've got uh, bigger fish to cry. Well, it seems like they need a better formula, but I don't know what that is. Exactly. It's all about business. That's what it is. Hey, nice segue, transition. Derek. You're and a professional. And the business chair today, it's Scott Foster. Thank you very much. Well, stocks are kind of up and down. They gained uh, very well early this morning after a very nice day yesterday. They've receded a bit, but technology and energy companies are kind of leading the way so far today. American consumer confidence has slipped just a little bit. We'll talk about that. Also, though, good news, uh, housing starts are up a little bit, so that's uh, good to see. And also another company diving into the self-driving car market. Oh, boy. You know, we saw this on Jurassic Park, and it didn't work out well. (laughs) 
I'm just saying. <laughs> You're right. A lot of things didn't work out well. That's true. Yeah, it was a bunch that went wrong there. <laughs> this is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Hi, this is Gordon Deal. Wednesday on This Morning, America's First News. With a recent staff shakeup, how will Defense Secretary James Mattis handle his job? His role in the administration just became more magnified. Also, lawmakers are revisiting policies from the Obama administration and how they may or may not be helping school shootings. And New Way's fans are embracing Loyola Chicago in the Final Four. Wednesday on This Morning, America's First News. Everything for the day ahead, 4 to 6 a.m. weekdays on 880 KRVN. And for Paul Perkins, I'm Dirk Christensen with a look at ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. Well, the clouds have finally begun to clear on out, leaving us with a couple of days. And afternoon highs that are quite pleasant should be allowing warmer temperatures, but only for a while, as Wednesday shapes up to be the nicest day of the week into the 60s. Maybe northern Kansas gets some 70s returning to the area. And we'd be looking at this as being uh, just a little bit of a preview as to what spring may hold a little later on. For now, well, holding on with a really strong grip is Old Man Winter with a cold front moving through by Wednesday evening and another shot of cold air on Thursday that turns the rain chances back into a Wednesday night into Thursday chance of snow and that could be repeating itself as we head on into the weekend of Easter. Wet weather, delayed field work in the Midwest and Delta and no significant rains for this week for Argentina. Key weather items for the commodity trade for today, the DTN Ag weather forecast for the Midwest is calling for episodes of cool and wet weather that will delay any spring field work and any early corn planting in the south. In the central Argentina areas, losses to lake-filling soybeans continue to mount up due to the drought. There is no significant Argentinian rainfall expected during the rest of this week. Across Brazil, there is no end indicated to the rainy season. Soil moisture favorable for second crop uh, corn. However, late-stage harvest and transportation issues in Brazil are continuing to be noted because of wet conditions. Further south, the heavy weekend range in Rio Grande do Sul will be disrupting the soybean harvest there. Southern Brazil could be seeing more wet weather forecast later this week. The Delta forecast remains wet with heavy rain and flood threats this week. Saturated soils along with that wet pattern are continuing to delay that corn planting. And there is again no significant precipitation expected in the southern plains during the next 10 days in any key growing areas. Some wheat fields in north-central Texas into southwest Oklahoma will benefit from just light to locally moderate rain today. And crop ratings already, as we've heard over the past several weeks, have been rated as poor and many in many areas. In fact, there are a number of areas that do not have any good to excellent wheat at this point at all. Sunny to partly cloudy and warmer for Nebraska today with high temperatures reaching the low to mid-50s. Tonight, a clear sky with lows of 28 to 35. And Wednesday, an increase in clouds with highs in the 50s east to 65 in the Panhandle. And in Nebraska's extended forecast for Thursday, mostly cloudy skies are expected with a chance of rain and snow mixed in the west and central. 
45 to 52 degree highs. Friday, partly cloudy, rain possible in the east, and high temperatures of 50 to 62. On Saturday, partly to mostly cloudy, with a chance of snow, then rain again in the northwest. High temperatures of 40 to 53 degrees. That's a look at ag weather to this hour, brought to you by Coolman Repair. And for weather anytime, krvn.com. Bank on the rules. Ahead of Thursday's USDA grain and soybean planting report, U.S. soybean producers and China may be prevailing in a world of tense trade talks. And one researcher is testing to see if a dangerous porcine virus could make its way into the U.S. in a feed shipment. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. The Wall Street Journal has compiled the top estimates for mag marketing companies ahead of Thursday's USDA planting report. Corn acres were at the top of the list at almost 89.5 million acres, with a range of estimates between 88.4 and 91 million acres. This is right near last year's USDA report at 90.167 million acres. For soybeans, they came in at almost 91 million acres, an increase from last year. The range of estimates between 89.9 and 92.1 million acres. Last year's USDA number at 90.142 million acres. All wheat acre plantings came in at almost 46.5 million acres, with a range of estimates between 45.7 and 47.2 million acres. This is a slight adjustment from last year's USDA number at just over 46 million acres. For winter wheat, it came in at 32.5 million acres, with a narrow range between 32.2 to 32.7 in the average guesses. This is on par with last year's USDA number at 32.696 million acres. From crop reports to trade news, when the first news of the U.S. placing tariffs on steel and aluminum broke, many worried that China would retaliate by targeting American ag products. Top of the list was soybeans and soybean products. Annually, China imports nearly $14 billion worth of U.S. soybeans and soy products. Following a trip from Beijing to South China last week by the Iowa Soybean Association now, soybean producers and industry stakeholders are more confident that common ground can be found with the issue and avoid placing Chinese tariffs on U.S. soybeans. Bill Shipley, president of the Iowa Soybean Association, said, We're hopeful that the rhetoric between the politicians isn't going to damage and that cooler heads will prevail. No one wins in a trade war. While soybeans currently aren't in the crosshairs of Chinese retaliation, a list of 128 other commodities released late last week by the Chinese Ministry of Commerce are. The Chinese government said that the retaliation would be in two stages. The first stage with a 15% tariff on 120 products, including steel pipes and wine worth $977 million annually. And the second stage of retaliation, placing 25% tariffs on nearly $2 billion worth of products, ranging from pork to aluminum. Finally today, one researcher is trying to ensure a safe feed supply for U.S. pork producers. Megan Nidewater, Kansas State University Assistant Professor of Diagnostic Medicine and Pathobiology in the College of Veterinary Medicine, is studying to see if African swine fever virus could survive an imported feed and cause illness to pigs after consumption. Since 2007, the African swine fever virus, or ASFV, has spread throughout Eastern Europe and Russia, but is not present in the U.S., Unfortunately, there is no vaccine or cure for the disease, which causes hemorrhagic fever and high mortality in pigs. Thankfully, it does not infect humans, but an outbreak in the U.S. could cause tens of billions in damage and disrupt the entire pork production chain. 
Nightwater says the ultimate goal of our research is to understand what mitigation tools may be utilized to reduce the risk of African swine fever virus being introduced into the U.S. Nightwater and her team are performing the research in a biosafety level 3 laboratory at the Biosecurity Research Institute, and they have been studying 5-gram amounts of complete feed and feed ingredients, some of which include soybean meal, lysine, dried distiller's grain, choline, and vitamin D. As Benjamin Franklin said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. What may be a flower in one man's garden is the weed in another man's pasture, field, or waterway. We dive into this deeper on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton, Lincoln County, Nebraska, and they're looking at the yellow flag iris as a noxious weed. I'm talking with Lincoln County Weed Superintendent Todd Herndon. And Todd, just kind of talk to us about what the yellow iris is and, and what the issue is there in Lincoln County with it. Um, yellow flag iris is... It looks pretty much like your regular garden iris, except it can grow up to between three and five feet tall and spreads really fast around really wet areas or water. Here in Lincoln County, yellow flag is still in its infancy in terms of how much land it's infested, but I'm looking to stop it, its spread before it becomes a major problem on the rivers and lakes in Lincoln County before it spreads downstream into other counties. And this is somewhat of an invasive plant. How did this get started into uh, the wild? On the North Platte River, there's roughly like 16 miles of the North Platte River that could have it on it. And that started off the Birdwood Creek. Um, It was planted as an ornamental quite a few years ago, and it just recently escaped within probably the last five or ten years. Todd, what is the yellow iris flag, flag iris here at risk of hurting? Is it livestock, groundwater sources, native plants? All of it. It's poisonous to livestock. It causes skin irritations to humans. Uh, it can outcompete native vegetation, create a monoculture, which is just where that's the only plant growing. And it can create a new bank for around the rivers and over time that will decrease the amount of water that the river or drainage canal or creek can handle and then that will increase flood potential. And then looking at a, a control plan, how have you suggested about going about controlling these flowers? Well, the best way I've found is to just spray it with an aquatic glyphosate, which is aquatic Roundup. So I've tried to dig them up with a shovel and about broke shovel with it. You know, even if you have a big machinery in there, it's not going to dig up very easy. And then the roots and everything are still going to be able to regrow. Even if they dry out, they can still regrow when they get wet. So spraying is about the best option. Um, you can spray them in midsummer, mid-spring or midsummer, um, even late into the fall. But by the time fall comes, the seeds have already dropped. and So it's best to get them by mid-spring or early summer. And you recently went to the Lincoln County Commissioners to propose a uh, countywide meeting trying to get this labeled as a noxious weed. Talk to us more about this upcoming public meeting. Yeah, there'll be a public meeting on April 2nd at 9.30 at the Lincoln County Courthouse. It'll be the Lincoln County Weed Board um, along with Lincoln County Commissioners and it's open to all the public to voice their concerns concerns or support about yellow flag iris and make it a noxious weed in Lincoln County. 
That's Todd Herndon. He is the Lincoln County Wheat Superintendent who was looking to get the yellow iris uh, labeled as a noxious weed. And this is the yellow flag iris, I should say. Uh, originally started as an ornamental, has now spread and is taking over a lot of waterways, both poisonous to livestock, as we found. It's also choking out native plant species in the area and over time could even have an impact on local water resources as well. So, Todd, we thank you for informing us on this issue. Keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network and time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose tried to shoot down rumors yesterday that he's looking to replace head coach Tim Miles. In a story in the Omaha World-Herald, Moose said that he hasn't contacted Nebraska native Dan Altman, the current coach at Oregon. Of course, he was a former coach at Creighton. Moose said he hasn't contacted him because he has no need to. Moose and Miles have already had two meetings since the end of the season, and Moose says they have more planned in the future to discuss a contract extension. Well, Scott Frost and the Huskers continue to work out this week through the first full week of spring practice. They practiced again this morning, and Frost talks about some of the changes he's bringing to the program. Uh, we practice at a fast pace. So we're going to get a lot of repetitions. Uh, we're going to split the team some so we get even more reps. Um, you don't get better without practicing, and we want as many guys up and moving and practicing as we can get. Another Husker news. Former Husker and Dominican Sue has found a new home. He's agreed to a one-year deal with the Los Angeles Rams. Sue spent the last three seasons with Miami and was cut when he declined to take a pay cut. He's a five-time Pro Bowl selection during his eight-year career with Detroit and the Dolphins. UConn and Notre Dame, they're headed to the women's Final Four. Last night, the Huskies smashed South Carolina and Notre Dame held off Oregon. UNK assistant volleyball coach Kaylee Zuha has been named the new head volleyball coach at Division II Valdosta State in Georgia. Zuha, Lincoln Southwest graduate, spent the last nine years at UNK either as a player, a graduate assistant, or a full-time assistant coach. UNK is currently going through its spring ball and hopes to announce Zuha's replacement in the coming months. Well, Pittsburgh is turning to Jeff Capel to turn around its struggling basketball program. He takes over for Kevin Stallings, who was fired earlier this month. Cable, if you remember, spent the last seven seasons as an assistant coach under Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. He previously served as head coach at VCU in Oklahoma, taking both schools to the NCAA tournament. And the Husker baseball team starts a nine-game road stretch tonight as Nebraska battles Creighton at TD Ameritrade Park. Now, Nebraska leads the all-time series 85-50-2 in a series that started way back in 1902. The Jays are having a nice year. They're 12-6. and six. They have an RPI in the top 20. First pitch tonight is set for 6.30. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dave Schroeder. Clear skies tonight. Lows from 28 to 35 degrees. Authorities say two students were taken to a hospital after the school bus they were in collided with a car in northwest Omaha. It happened shortly before 7 a.m. this morning as about 20 students on board headed for Millard North Middle School. Millard School spokeswoman Rebecca Kleeman said that the hospitalizations were more precautionary than anything. She says other students' families picked them up at school and took them to be medically checked. The names of those involved and other details about the crash haven't been released. Lawmakers have advanced a measure that would exempt Nebraska's public power districts from open records requests when the information sought could help their competitors. Lawmakers advanced the bill 42-2 to to the second of three required votes. 
Supporters of the bill say it's wrong to ask districts to share information that could harm them. Senator Dan Hughes of Venango is carrying the measure. Hughes says utilities such as Nebraska Public Power District already make information available to the public. They put an annual report out. There's 64 pages of information here. Does it give you specific cost of production for each facility? No. That's not information that the average ratepayer needs, nor I believe desires. If the board of directors felt the need, if they felt the cry from enough of their ratepayers, they could make that public. But as a business decision in a competitive market, that's undercutting their authority. That's not good business. Senator Tom Brewer of Gordon says he's concerned the bill would lead to less transparency within a public agency. The Nebraska Supreme Court last month ordered the Nebraska Public Power District to disclose records that show the cost of generating electricity at specific facilities. Pierce County commissioners have approved regulations guiding development of wind energy farms. The commissioners voted Monday 2-1 to one for an amended version of the Planning Commission's recommendations. The new regulations require that turbine towers can't be erected closer than 2,700 feet from any house, but that requirement can be waived by the homeowner. The commissioners added a requirement that no towers could be placed within two miles of a state recreation area. The Massachusetts Secretary of State says he expects his state would join in a lawsuit against the Trump administration over the decision to include a citizenship question on the 2020 U.S. Census. William Galvin called the decision an attempt to suppress the count in states such as Massachusetts that have large immigrant populations. California has already said it will sue the Trump administration over the decision. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. option for nitrogen might be headed your way. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I caught up with Carl Tice, founder of Greenfield Nitrogen. Yes, in 2011, I farmed uh, several thousand acres and I received a bill for my ammonia from a local cooperative and it was $835 a ton. At the time, uh, my background is as an industrial engineer, and I understood how ammonia was made. And I realized that there was a disconnect between the cost of what I was paying and the cost of production. And with that, uh, on the back of an envelope in my office, I basically figured it out, and it was about 235 a ton for the cost of production. That left a margin of about $600. And the reason why that was is, Natural gas is the main feedstock of anhydrous ammonia. After 2008, when Sarah Palin got up and said, drill, baby, drill, we had access to harvesting natural gas and crude oil in the United States that hadn't uh, existed in terms of horizontal drilling and fracking. So that's the aha moment. What a, what a great opportunity for you to be able to have that aha moment, help yourself out, but it in turn help out so many producers in the Midwest. De- definitely. And our program is geared much like an ethanol plant. Along the way, we have the same group of people who worked on ethanol plants, such as our attorney and our accountants, as well as other developers who've helped us as well. And our goal is to have it be not only farmer investor owned, but we brought cooperatives and ag retailers into the mix as well. 
So for a producer out there that's listening to this and says, this is amazing, how can I be a part of it? How can they? What can they do to help you out? Well, the easiest way to contact us is www.greenfieldnitrogen.com, and that's one word, www.greenfieldnitrogen.com. And we can uh, obtain their contact information and give them a personal call as well as send out subscription materials. This is Linda Thrasher, but what I would add is how they benefit is that look at the farmer, and this is going to be different than the retailer, but look at the farmer as investing in an LLC, much like an ethanol plant. What they receive is a profit or loss distribution. So they do not physically get to take the product, but they can benefit when um, the prices are high. And further, what's what's interesting for the farmer is that it's almost like a hedge on their fertilizer costs. And it gives them access to an industry that they've almost never been able to have access to. So it's a chance to get their foot in the door and get some return back on a valuable input. And this is so different and unique for the Midwest and actually the nation as a whole from what I understand. You're absolutely right. We believe we are the first of our kind to develop a model like this and honestly, Susan, we're more excited about the model than we are on the ammonia plant. The ammonia plant is great. Anyone can do that. But designing it for agriculture is what has made us so passionate about this project. And the return on the investment is anywhere from 16 to 20 percent, correct? Y- yes. With that, it's a $110 million project. And we believe we're a little over 45 percent of the way with our funding. And we've only been at it about five weeks. So that's got to tell you right there, Carl, that there's a passion and a desire for something like this in the Midwest. Definitely, definitely. With that, the overall cost is $220 million, but we're looking at $110 million of equity. So we're, we're almost halfway there. And every day we go to the mailbox and there's more subscription agreements in the mailbox. So the interest is definitely there. And, and Susan, what makes this plant, I think, unique is we are actually using conventional technology just like the large ammonia plants use. But we've gone to a right size for this market. It's small enough to to use conventional technology, but not so small that we have to do a different process. And even though our um, you know cash costs might be slightly um, higher, not significantly higher, just a titch higher, What gives us an advantage is we are in the backyard of the retailers who will buy the product. And so our shipping distances are roughly 50 to 75 miles. And the logistical advantage is significant, especially with an industry that is used to shipping product from the Gulf of Mexico, from Canada, and elsewhere. So there's a backyard advantage that makes this compelling. Well, I think what else is so unique about this is that you're looking at ag retailers and farmers coming together to work for a better cause. Definitely, definitely. And when we first came up with this idea, we ran it by several large ag retailers, and it was an aha moment for them as well. Because their biggest fear is, is supply in terms of there's a limited amount of people who actually make it, and there's only a limited amount of people who actually wholesale it so to them they're looking at another chance to have another uh group in the market that manufactures it especially in north iowa because we're 
toward the end of the ammonia pipeline. My conversation with the folks from Greenfield Nitrogen. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network joined with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities as we take a look here at the closing livestock futures. And it was a little hairy and scary at the end of the trade today. Yeah, that last 15 minutes of trade ran up, made new highs in the cattle, turned around and and almost made new lows. And, uh, boy, it was uh, pretty fast and furious uh, in the cattle pit. Uh, the remainder of the, the other part of the day was pretty benign. But, uh, actually, uh, it, uh, we're going to finish mixed after all of that. Uh, cattle trading today... Uh, Looked like it was uh, 120 and a half, maybe some 121s, but uh, certainly lower. And I think that uh, put a little fear in at the end of the day. Uh, uh, is uh, that's definitely a weaker trade. So uh, cutouts were mixed at noon. Choice uh, up a little bit, uh, select down a little bit. Pretty light test, so not much to go on there. But uh, very uh, volatile in the last uh, 13, 15 minutes of trade uh, today. And the feeders, uh, they finished, they managed to hang on to some gains, have some uh, uh, one triple-digit gain, uh, the rest uh, higher. So uh, not bad for the uh, feeders, uh, helped by uh, the grains uh, taking a little uh, nosedive. Uh, over in the hogs, finishing mix there. Cash seemed to be uh, a little bit more towards steady. Cutouts were off a little bit at noon, and that kept uh, the rally uh, from uh, ever uh, really getting underway. And we finished mixed in the hogs also. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, joining us there. For more information, give him a call, 1-800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network, and I'm talking with Steve Nelson, president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau. Now, Steve, we saw you yesterday at uh, in the governor's hearing room as we discussed LB-947. There was a press conference regarding that, and Farm Bureau was kind of doubling down your support for LB-947, aren't you? Well, that's right, and I certainly appreciate you having me on, Bryce, to visit about this a little bit. This is a extremely important issue as we have been working to find ways to provide property tax relief for a uh, number of years now, and, and what we have uh, with LB 947 is an opportunity to do that, and, and for the first time uh, in, in quite some time, we have a bill that has meaningful property tax relief in it. Uh, nearly 25%, possibly over 25% uh, increase in property tax relief over time. So that's very significant if you if, if it's a fairly easy calculation when you start to think about uh, the amount of property tax we pay uh, on farms and ranchers in Nebraska, or uh, as it might relate to to uh, other property owners as well. So so this is a this is a significant opportunity to have property tax relief, and we just strongly encourage uh, senators to vote for this. Uh, we are in the, the waning days of the legislature, uh, and so it's ex- just extremely important from a time factor as well that we understand that this is the bill that will be uh, discussed uh, this year, and this is 
this is really a, a great opportunity to have property tax relief. Steve, as we begin to wrap up here, one last final question for you. I think there's been a little bit of confusion with, based on some of the media reporting about Farm Bureau as an organization's support for the ballot initiative campaign regarding property taxes. So let's set the record straight here. As an organization, what happens if 947, LB 947 that is, passes as is? Well, what we've said is that if, if 947 passes with you know as it has been amended and without significant changes uh that that would be negative towards agriculture obviously we would support changes that would be uh positive towards uh property tax relief but what we what we have said is that if that if it passes we will focus our efforts on uh, work related to how we fund schools in the state of nebraska and and bringing equity and fairness to our tax system. We know that we have a significant over-reliance on property tax to fund schools. That's the the crux of the problem. That's the the significant part of the problem. And we need to continue to work with that. We really believe that that passage of 947 actually helps us uh, to begin uh, down that path of taking a look at how we do fund schools or fund education in the state of Nebraska. And so, uh, again, what we've said, to be very clear, is that, that if, if LB 947 passes that, we will shift our focus away from the ballot initiative and towards uh, continued work on how we fund schools in the state of Nebraska and how we have a fair and equitable tax system uh, in the state of Nebraska. So. Uh, that's where we're at, and, and again, I, I just keep coming back to the to the opportunity that we have before us today. That's Steve Nelson, president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau, discussing LB 947. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grains. John, as we take a look, somewhat of a slower day in the grains overall as uh, traders are just waiting for reports and more news. Yeah, I think uh, no no export news this morning, so kind of, I think, started everything out on a sour note, especially on the corn side. I mean, we've been getting good action, really, a daily basis. Um, and wheat, obviously, being the kind of hangover, I think that's that's anchoring corn to the to the downside here. Soybeans, in my opinion, traders just getting ready for the reports. I think the grain stocks number we're, we're prepared for a pretty big crop size as far as what we're carrying in this year, um, and that I think is going to keep uh, some of the shorts in this trade going into the report, uh, along with new crop traders looking to hedge up uh, ahead of what many are thinking it'll be higher acreage. Uh, again, I, on the corn and the wheat side, and corn specifically, I think you got to just get through this number and then focus on the WASDE reports that are going to come out uh, on the 10th of April. That'll be the next big market-moving event, and that's where we're going to talk about U.S., uh, I'm sorry, South American production, along with, uh, you know, a lower tick in global supplies, along with some higher U.S. export demand. So there's a lot of good news, I think, that can come in down the road, but we just got to get through these next couple of weeks. So if you're in the, mo- in the market on the long side, I think you could find yourself under some pressure here. Uh, don't be tempted to get chopped up. I think we're going to be going sideways for the next week, week and a half. And then over on the soybeans, as we take a look there, seeing some weakness later on in the trade today. Is Argentina still a factor here, or is that one out of traders' mindsets right now? Again, I think with the Wazi, that'll come back into vogue, but that won't be touched on this fr- this Thursday. Um, so this Thursday is going to be simply about 
uh, grain stocks, which we have a lot of on the soybean side. And then it'll be about new crop acres, which we're going to have, have a lot of. At least that's what the, uh, I guess, the assessment of the early uh, guesses have been, that we're going to have 91, 92, maybe even as high as 92.5 million acres of soybeans. And if that's the case, you're going to see, you know, production numbers be pretty high uh, for, for this next year when you start penciling in with yield. Now, South America, Brazil's got a good crop. Argentina does not. We're continuing to see those estimates come down. But, again, that's for the WASI report that will be out, oh, two weeks from Thursday, I think I'm right on that. It's the 10th of April um, is when that'll be out, and that's kind of in, in my opinion, when the South American story all come back into vogue. Much like the wheat as well. Once we turn the page into April, we're going to start talking about new crop conditions, and we'll start talking about acreage and abandonment and all that good stuff that I think the bulls can grab onto. Right now, the trade is bored, and in this, in this case, it, it's following the macro markets, which are dragging everything down. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing Service in Chicago. For more information, visit them online at danielsagmarketing.com. As we take a look here, it was a mixed close with corn unchanged in the green, wheat, and soybeans both in the red. This is the Rural Radio Network.